Welcome to your Actives Tech Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the DSA and at what companies will have to do to comply with it. For an overview on all things technology related in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Louis-Victor de Fransou, co-founder of Trimo, a startup. Hello, Louis-Victor. Hello, Luca. Louis Victor, you have been working as chief of staff of the French digital ambassador uh, in a key time for digital policy in Europe. Can you tell us more about your experience? Thank you very much. Thanks for the question and thank you again for, for having me here today. Um, I joined uh, Henri Verdier, the French ambassador for digital affairs um, team in early 2019 when he was just uh, building uh, his office. He was the second French ambassador for digital affairs. Uh, but the first one to have a full team around him. His um, role was to concentrate and um, push France's vision around the digital world in around four specific fields. One which was security, the second was human rights, the third was um, economical diplomacy, and the fourth was internet governance. And I focus more on the security part, which had two aspects, of course, which had cybersecurity, but also had how do we fight against any foreign or even domestic threats uh, that can happen online. So terrorist content, disinformation, etc. Um, and little by little, I started concentrating on the Christchurch call to action after the French uh, president and the uh, New Zealand prime minister decided to launch the call following the horror uh, we witnessed in Christchurch in 2019. Yeah, so from uh, looking at the security aspect uh, of, of the online world, you then also worked on the DSA. And now, uh, if I got that right, you have decided to make the DSA uh, your business model. How, how did that play out? There was a couple of elements that uh, came. First, uh, one thing we, I, I didn't mention is that before joining the French administration and the French ambassador for digital affairs, I worked for many years in uh, the financial world where I was working in compliance risk management. And as we were um, negotiating or discussing with many of the online platforms around how do you fight against this terrorist content online or how do you fight against disinformation online, I kept drawing parallels between some of the risk mitigation frameworks that we had helped some of the largest banks in the world put in place and what uh, we were seeing um, you know, some of the elements that we believed should be put in place by these companies, the first of which was transparency reports. I remember I, I participated in a number of discussions around, you know, what are some of the metrics that governments need, want or regulators want to see from the platforms in order to ensure that they are doing their best to fight against what's illegal online, but also that they are protecting fundamental human rights. And there was also always a discussion around is the information that is required, personal identification information, PII, um, it was our belief in France that actually we do not need any that type of information. What is really necessary in terms of transparency is to be able to understand the entire process, the entire process of the content moderation that, this, that these companies are using. How many times do they receive notifications? From whom? For what reason? What do they do upon it? Are there complaints? 
uh, all these different elements, which um, you know enabled a regulator to much better understand what was happening on this platform, what were some of the weaknesses or, or strengths of the platform, um, and how the moderation process was working. We pushed this uh, for for a number of years in two thousand uh, in twenty nineteen and twenty and twenty twenty. And then the Digital Services Act came, which we followed uh, from the office, but we weren't involved in the day-to-day uh, French task force, but we followed uh, what was was discussed. And what I was really um, amazed uh, with this proposal is that it really, um, what the commission had prepared, really followed um, this idea of transparency and the transparency of the entire moderation process for companies. Now, one of the arguments we kept hearing um, when discussing with the big companies, if I go back to to, to, to the work I, w- I was doing, was that it was um, going to be very difficult for small and medium-sized companies to be able to produce the transparency reports because they were requiring the right processes and the right tools. And again, I kept thinking to what I was doing in the banking world, which is exactly this. We were working with tool providers that were implementing tools to help the banks do their, for example, anti-money laundering processes. And this is what we build at Trimo. What we build at Trimo is this idea that it is possible to be compliant with these new regulations only if you have the tools and processes that enable you to do so. And the tools and processes don't need to be outrageously expensive and you don't need to build them in-house. You can outsource it to software developers. And we at Trimo were the first to focus specifically on this part of the problem rather than on the detecting part, which in fact is not mandatory in the regulation. This parallel with the financial world is very interesting and it's uh, actually perhaps the first time I hear about it. So in in concrete terms, when you say that um, this process can be externalized and that you aim to provide tools, what are we talking about in concrete? What sort of support uh, can you provide to companies uh, to ensure that they comply with the DSA? One of the challenges we've, we notice is a company is going to go, let's say an online platform that's growing. Okay, It's going to have multiple phases in its growth. It's going to have the time where it has 2,000 users and then 500,000 users and then 1 million users and then maybe 10 million users. It's growing. And so the, the, the support it needs to do the content moderation and the tools that are needed for it are going to be very different. But one thing is going to always be the same is that in, in, in terms of the steps is that they need to have the capacity to have a human in the loop. So to have the right screens, for example, very easily so that a, um, a human moderator can review the content. They need to be able to treat law enforcement requests very quickly on the appropriate screens. They need to be able with the Digital Service Act to respond to trusted flaggers. Um, and they will need to do so um, following a certain dashboard, following a risk-based approach. So you don't want to keep, you know, a bit what we saw uh, in 2019 during the Halo attack, where it took a number of hours for um, a, a social media company to remove the video because they had a first-in, first-out approach, um, rather than uh, having the approach which consisted of saying, you know, what is the risk of this video? And so if the risk is high, i.e. it's live stream, it's been reported for terrorists, it's been reported for live violence, it should be the first content I review, my moderators review in my moderation moderation queue, moderation list. So that's just one aspect. 
Um, and then, of course, depending on what content it is, you know, if it's child sexual abuse material, then you need you need to send it to NECMEC or to the authorities. If it's terrorist content, then you want maybe want to send it to the GFCT or with the TCO regulation, you'll need to send it to uh, Europol. Um, and there's a number of different elements that you need to do, which, again, if you're a small or medium company, building all these connections and creating your trust and safety ecosystem is going to be particularly difficult and expensive. Now, what we provide is we provide this workflow a bit like a plug and play uh, workflow where we provide the dashboards and all these different steps for the company once as they do the moderation process. And this includes integrating all the data feeds that they are receiving from across the board. So I mentioned, of course, law enforcement requests, um, trusted flagger notices, user notices, uh, but also as these companies grow, they use more and more detection tools. But a lot of these detection tools are actually um, creating a lot of you know, false positive that need to be reviewed by humans. And these reviews need to be done on the screen. And either they can, and if they want to centralize all this process, so to be able to facilitate the publication of transparency reports at the end of the year, then they will need to do it on a centralized dashboard or through the same system. And again, this is what we provide. And now, when on top of this, which is what you know, some of the largest companies have been doing until today, but the smallest haven't or, or on a much smaller scale, you add to this the complaint mechanism. So once you remove a content, you need to be able, not just delete it, but you need to be able to send the possibility to your user to do a complaint and then have a new moderator review the case, understand what happened at the first step, not just see uh, the complaint itself. So all of this needs to be done, as I was mentioning, in a proper workflow, in a proper tool with the proper um, power around it. And again, in order to be transparent at the end of the year. Now, if I go back to the first element I was saying, which is, you know, imagine you're growing, then the speed and the scale of the tool in place is going to be very different. And by the way, the regulations is also evolving and it's evolving in different ways across the globe. So if you're a company that's growing and you're growing in different markets, either you need to redo that tool on a yearly basis and try to um, and have to adapt it, have to scale it, have to rethink it, or you outsource it to a provider that does that for you. And this is exactly what we offer. Most of the discussion on the DSA uh, were focused on the VLOPs, the very large online platforms. Um, if I understand your work correctly, you're mostly focusing on SMEs or platforms that are scaling up. Besides what you just mentioned, are there some additional challenges for these uh, smaller companies in their compliance uh, effort uh, with the new regulation? Yes, there will be uh, a, a number of other challenges. There's a, there's a number of elements around ad transparency. There's a number of elements around protection of minors online. Um, and then there's a, 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 a lot of information Again, it's, a, it's related to, to the workflow, but the ability to provide the right information uh, and to respond to trusted flaggers, there's a lot of these obligations that are coming for the SMEs. And you're right, we've been focusing very much on the VLOPs because they're the very large ones. But in terms of scale uh, or number of companies, if you look at the VLOPs, there's probably going to be maybe 15, 20. I don't know how many companies are over 45 million monthly users. And by the way, this is something which the commission is going to have to help us also understand how you... You know, what is a monthly user? How do you count it? What's the you know, what are the metrics that you actually use to, to calculate it? Um, but then if you believe that there's over, uh, over 10,000 companies that are impacted by the Digital Services Act, 
then the vast majority of the companies impacted are SMEs. And they are the ones that, in fact, have done up to today, have, have had the less means or the less, uh, um, have invested the less in these, uh, in these trust and safety programs or content moderation processes, simply because it wasn't an obligation for them. And, it, you know, these companies are today, you know, focusing on scaling rather than focusing simply on this part, which, of course, is crucial. Moving on to develops now, because the, when we talk about very large online platforms, we always think about Facebook, about Google. But in fact, there are um, large platforms that are not as profitable. Take uh, Wikipedia, for example, or there are likely to be a lot of uh, porn websites also categorized as VLOPs. What, what, what sort of challenges are they facing um, in, in terms of compliance since they will have much uh, stricter obligations under the DSA? So um, these companies are going to have um, you know, part of the, uh, some of the most challenging elements are going to be around the risk assessments analysis and, so, and, and consequently the risk mitigation plans that they need to put in place. Um, that, that I think is going to be key uh, for a lot of these companies because um, We'll go a bit further in some of the other elements that, that they, or some of the other requirements, but these risk assessments today, there's no methodology that's been developed and, uh, or, or, or only the very beginning of these uh, methodologies. And now the commission is requiring them to do this on a yearly basis and to be able to um, publish a risk mitigation plans. And I think a lot of these VLOPs are kind of looking at some advice saying, okay, what does this mean? What does this entail for my business? And how do I actually achieve this risk assessment? Um, but that's not the only uh, issue. I mean, a lot of these companies, there's also um, transparency around um, advertising, which is going to be um, uh, so, so some challenging for some of these companies. Um, um, there's a lot of elements around the choice of recommender systems, which is also something which is not natural for some of these companies. I mean, some some of the online platforms um, are quite advanced on this. Some are not at all. Um, and and as you were mentioning, some platforms on which we go, for example, porn sites, we never realized or they're never seen as social, as kind of networks or as online platforms, uh, when in fact uh, they behave in a way which is very similar to, to YouTube. And YouTube is... You know, in our, on contracts, we do believe we do uh, naturally tend to put uh, YouTube as a VLOP and not some of the of the porn um, uh, sites. So it is indeed going to be very interesting to see how these companies uh, adapt and how these companies adapt to also being a bit more in the spotlight because they are going to have to publish transparency reports as well. They are going to have to be much more transparent on how they finance uh, themselves through advertising, um, et cetera, et cetera. You mentioned a couple of times already that the Commission has to release uh, guidance on how to interpret some of the most fundamental aspects of the DSA, such as the risk assessment. Um, can you give us uh, an overview of uh, what we're waiting from the Commission at this stage of the of the DSA and what are perhaps the most um, significant elements that the Commission has to provide? That is indeed a very good question. And it's a question that um, a lot of companies are waiting for, 
for the announcer too, and not only a lot of a lot of companies, but also a lot of uh, digital service coordinators. Um, a lot of them are, I know, also waiting for some advice on where to go uh, from the commission. Um, I don't have a date. Uh, I don't work at the commission, and I don't have a date, or I don't have um, uh, an expectation of the timeline. What I do know is that there's a number of elements where the commission has said already in the text that they may uh, propose guidance, which means that they probably will. And um, these include, for example, uh, you know, what needs to be included in complaint mechanisms. Uh, there's a, the, the, I think uh, guidance is, is mentioned uh, you know, several times in the actual DSA itself um, around protection for minors, around the codes of conduct, around the trusted flaggers. Um, so there's a number of, of these uh, guidance that will be published. Um, and they will be published for, for, for some you know, high, high level, but also for some very detailed, for example, what does the commission consider or as independent for a trusted flag organization? What does it mean? If a trusted flag organization, which often on NGOs or nonprofit organizations that are often financed by um, subsidies from um, companies, does that mean that that NGO is independent from a platform or not. And these are types of the guidance, for example, that uh, the commission will have to uh, provide in order for both the, um, you know, actually both the trusted flaggers themselves, but also the national regulators or the digital service coordinators will be to, for them to be able to um, comply and implement uh, the DSA as it's supposed to be, and also in a way that is harmonized across the union. If I just for a minute compare again to what we saw in the financial industry, um, these um, different levels of implementing standards are very common. You have a law that's written by the commission, then you have ESMA that will, or, or actually the European uh, Banking Authority that's going to issue some guidance, and then ESMA is going to issue some implementing standards, which is kind of the third level. Um, I don't believe that for the first version of the DSA is going to be as complex of, as what we see in the financial world today. But I think that little by little, it is going to evolve and we are going to see more and more um, guidance and more and more precise information being um, provided by the Commission as to how these uh, requirements need to be implemented and how uh, digital service coordinators need also to regulate online platforms uh, presence in their uh, countries. I'll add this, what's interesting is um, Platforms are, of course, waiting for, for these guidance. Um, trusted flaggers are, but digital service coordinators are as well. And so there is a big wait uh, uh, from, uh, from all different actors around the more information as to how we actually implement uh, the Digital Services Act. And the time frame is quite short because if the DSA is to be adopted um, in uh, October, which is uh, you know what is... The time frame that is today being discussed um, or published officially, uh, that means that VLOPs will be regulated by um, very early of next year, very early 2023. Uh, so that gives very little time for both um, the, the regulators, but also for um, the commission uh, to be able to actually uh, define some of the guidance, help the companies um, you know, with, for example, the risk assessments, what are some of the elements that need to be assessed what are the different um, you know, main areas that the Commission is looking to uh, for answers to, etc.? And indeed, the next months will be crucial 
um, to determine how the DSA will shape up in practice. Thank you, Louis-Victor de Fransou, co-founder of Trimo, and I hope we will hear back from you um, once we know more about the implementation of the DSA. Thank you very much, Luca. It was great to speak to you and to speak more about this subject, which is so crucial today. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy development in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evie Chiori. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.